Just for interest's sake, how many under 30s do we have today? Can you please stand? No, can you please stand if you're under 30? Some of you are taking long to stand. Don't you know your age? Awesome, you can sit down. I realize that um, navigating your teenage years and your young adult years is very different to when I went through my teenage years and uh, young adult years. So I'm really excited about this topic that we are going to be doing. We're doing a, a series called Biblical Sexuality. And this is going to be a good six-part sermon series. Next week we have a guest speaker, Andre Webster. He's one of the pastors down in Cape Town that leads the church, or that's a pastor of one of the churches that we are a part of. And he studied sexology, and he will be our guest speaker next week, and he'll be able to give a little bit more insight into this topic than I can. And then it's Mother's Day, and we've got Grant Walton that will be sharing with us. I'm looking forward to his single-message sermon, and then we'll continue with this sermon series. So my name is Paul. If you're watching online, I am the pastor of this local church, and I'm primarily speaking to followers of Jesus Christ. And why I say that is because you may find this video in the next few years, and you don't always know the context of why I'm saying what I'm saying and who I'm speaking to. So we are mostly followers of Jesus Christ who are looking at Scripture and wrestling with what God says in His Word and trying to work out how do we live this in practice. So I am a pastor, and I'm going to look and see how we can talk about this through a theological and pastoral framework. This is not going to be a comprehensive study of biblical sexuality, and this is definitely not my final word on this topic. Every year, we're going to have to come back to some of these topics and continue to talk through it. I know you can only say so much during a Sunday sermon. You only get like 35 minutes or so many minutes to talk about it, and there's always so much to say. So we're going to continue to dialogue over on this topic in the months and years to come. I also know that when I share some of these verses and we talk through biblical sexuality, I understand that there'll be things that I'm going to say that some of you are going to say yes about, and others of you are going to be upset. And I know I'm going to stand on toes because this topic can be a very divisive, difficult topic to talk about. I know that you may feel confused and you may feel angry. And my point of this is that as we engage on this topic, especially in some of the life groups, is that you are willing to have an attitude of grace that you're able to talk about this without getting really upset about it and taking a stance and feeling like, like you can't dialogue and talk about this without getting really upset. I know in, in the past, and I talked to some of the life group leaders when some of these topics do come up, it can be a very difficult life group to navigate. So I'm going to ask you to please maintain a unity of the God's Spirit when we talk through it. Why am I going to do a sermon series like this? Well, our theme for this year is, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And I want to talk about some topics that are relevant for families today, some of the topics that our children and our teenagers and our young adults are facing. So I want to go there, and I'm going to ask you to be gracious with me. Um, the other reason is that we have a vision of this church to become his community that also impacts our community. And we are not called just to be a holy huddle 
just to sit here and to be a nice, comfortable, holy huddle. But our goal is to reach our community and love our community and love those around us. So I'm not always sure who walks into our building. But I do want to be sure on our commitment to love people that walk into our congregation, our public celebration on a Sunday. So if you're going to do anything in the next few weeks and months, I'm going to ask you to be gracious with those that may not agree with you, and I'm going to ask you to be practical, to represent Jesus well when it comes to loving people. Okay? So I, so maybe if you don't know, I am a white straight male who, who has never struggled with my identity as a male. Okay, so sometimes when we talk about um, biblical sexuality, sometimes it's hard well, for me, the person that's sharing it, is to talk about facts and things and sometimes forget that we are talking about real life people who are facing real difficulties and challenges. Um, I've been reading a book called Disembodied by an author called Preston Sprinkle. And he dedicates the book to a lady called Leslie. And Leslie, he says, was born female. And from the time Leslie was four years old, they experienced life as a boy. And, and it, it catches me by surprise when I, when I read from the time Leslie was four years old, they experienced life as a, a boy. So the pronoun, I'm like, no, it's a she, but actually they are using the pronoun they. And it says, Leslie felt like a boy, thought like a boy, played like a boy. When all the other little girls wanted to play tea house, tea or house, I wanted to play football. Leslie told me at the age of four, I proclaimed that Wonder Woman was going to be my wife and I would have superpowered children. I thought nothing of it. Leslie also remembers loving Jesus wholeheartedly from a very young age. My earliest memories of the church nursery and Sunday school, I always had known that I was loved and I was a child of God. I can't remember a time when God's truth was not an integral part of my life. Leslie's struggles increased with age, making it hard to fit into youth group. I started to keenly feel a distance between myself and other girls, Leslie remembers. I could not relate to the emerging womanhood. They were spending hours putting on makeup, styling their hair, and talking about boys. None of this interests me in the least. Most, like most kids wrestling with their gender identity, Leslie was wrestling alone. No one to talk to, no one to listen to. Nobody seemed to care. Leslie sank into deep, dark periods of depression. And when isolation met depression, suicidal thoughts quickly followed. I, I lived the charade until high school rolled around. And Leslie said, becoming increasingly despondent and suicidal, finally she summoned the courage to go to a pastor for help. Leslie explained their dysphoria to him, hoping for some pastoral guidance. Instead of offering guidance, Leslie recalled, my pastor escorted me to the back door of his office and told me never to come back again. And I didn't. I didn't step foot in church for the next 18 years. I hated Christians, especially pastors. From that point on, Leslie, desperate to follow Jesus, was ushered out of the church simply for struggling with gender dysphoria. 
As I said, I don't know who will step into these four walls on a Sunday, and I'm not too sure how they will be welcomed in. The guy that's going to preach next week, he will tell, possibly tell a story of a young man that walked into their church building wearing high heels and a short skirt. And the congregation had to show hospitality. And he, he spoke about how he had to relate as a pastor. So how will someone that, that maybe struggled with gender dysphoria experience this local church community? And again, I'm going, to be asked, I'm going to ask you to be very gracious and kind during the sermon series. This issue has moved very quickly around the world and especially in the West. And um, I don't claim to have all the answers. There are people sitting in this room that are a lot smarter than me. But I'm going to do my best to try and articulate this from a theological and pastoral stance. And if I really offend you, in something that I say in the next six weeks. My email address is paul at newcreation.co.za. I would love to engage with you and talk it through instead of our cancel culture where someone says something and you just walk away and you go and find another church. So let's engage. Let's wrestle with what God's word says around this topic. One's internal sense of self as male, female, both, or either then we talk about gender roles, which describe the social and cultural aspects of being male or female, sometimes shorthanded as masculinity and femininity. And this is where we talk about gender roles. And I guess as a life group, we can have a lot of fun talking about the stereotypes of gender, gender roles that we see in our culture, roles that we've grown up in. Gender roles are largely based on stereotypes. Um, so, for example, a typical one would be little boys like the color blue and girls like the color pink. And little boys play with cars and little girls play with stereotypes. And, and sometimes I wonder, when someone's wrestling with their gender, and, and if they experience sex, uh, sexual or gender dysphoria, sometimes I wonder if they're wrestling more with gender stereotypes than they are with regard to wrestling with their sex, either being male or female. And I was thinking the other day about our men's ministry coming up and how easy it is to fall into some of those stereotypes. The man's man events. We've got to eat burrowbors and we've got to play rugby and we've got to tackle one another. And, and sometimes there are men that would prefer to be less violent and have we ever considered scrapbooking during a, a men's event? You laugh because our, our stereotypes are the ladies get together and they get in a circle and they cry together and the men get together and they... They throw a ball around and they tackle one another. But what happens if a lady wants to have shorter hair and she wants to compete as an MMA fighter? Is she less a female because of that? And it's good to talk about some of our gender stereotypes, even in our home. Who do you think does most of the cleaning in the house and, wash and hanging the washing? Me. Me. <laughs> 
We've been to family events. I'm the one there with our extended family helping wash the dishes, and some of the family members are like very uncomfortable. They're like, men do not help out in the kitchen. Please, would you go sit down? You are causing conflict between the men and the women in this house. So it's great to talk about stereotypes. So gender identity is commonly defined, again, as one's internal sense of self, male, female, both or either. Transgender, Mark Yorhaus, which is another book I looked at, he's a Christian psychologist, defines transgender as an umbrella term for the many ways in which people might experience and or present um, and express or live out their gender identities differently from people whose sense of gender identity is congruent with their biological sex. Now, you may be thinking, well, how many gender identities are there? All those that are on Facebook. How many options are there on Facebook when it comes to choosing your gender identity? Does anyone know? 71. And right now, you have the option to customize your gender. So here's a tip of advice. Before you shout out to someone when you get into this debate, there are only two genders. This which is true, if by gender you mean biological sex. When people use the term gender, make sure you ask them what they mean, because when you talk about gender, it's not used in the same way as you may think as biological sex. So here's the question that I think is being asked, and this is a question that you will have to wrestle with and try and answer. Where is it? not there. Here is the question. If someone experiences incongruence between their biological sex and their internal sense of self, their gender identity, which one determines who they are and why? If someone experiences difference between their biological sex and what they think they are, who they think they are, which one gets to determine who they really are. Don't shout out your answers. Because I need you, this is the question that's being asked. And why? Why is it not how you think that determines who you are versus your biology? And the narrative of the culture today says that the physical body has no meaning at all. So what is being taught to our young, young children in school, in schools is that just because you have boys' parts doesn't mean you are a boy. And as again, I said, as a teenager wrestling with your identity, imagine the challenge that children now have to face when the teacher is saying, just because you've got boy parts does not mean that you are a boy. And you now have to work out. So today, I want to look at what the Bible says about biological sex and how the body is essential in our image-bearing status. So Genesis 1 verse 26 again says, Let us make humans in our image to be like us. So God created human beings in his own image. He made the image of God. He made in the image of God, he created them male and female, he created. And as I said, theologians have been wrestling through what does it mean to be created in the image of God. This could be tied to our rational minds, our ability to reason, our ability to differentiate between right and wrong. 
It could be our capacity for relationship. It could be our capacity to love. Or maybe it's because we have a soul or a combination of these things. But this term image, the Hebrew term is tselem. Um, and in the Old Testament, this is a term that's used to refer to idols. So what are idols? Idols are visual representations of the invisible deity, right? So if you went into a Hindu temple, what would you find in the temple? There would be an idol. There would be a, a physical representation of the God that they are serving, so this idol means a physical carved copy of a non-physical being. There's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego having to bow down to this, this carved image of King Nebuchadnezzar, this representation of this deity, this God. And in Genesis 1, this statue or copy of God is humanity. And the non-physical presence is Yahweh. People, the, the Jews, were instructed not to put an image of God in their tabernacle. Why? Because God had already made images of himself, male and female. And Mark Courtson says this, the image of God is a declaration that God intended to create human persons to be the physical means through which he would manifest his own divine presence in the world. Humans are to be in the world as a kind of living image or statue of God. We bear God's image as male and as female. And this is a term that we're going to look at again in Genesis 2, probably in, in three weeks' time. It says, So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. While the man slept, the Lord took out one of the man's ribs and closed up the opening. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib. And this Hebrew word is tela. And this Hebrew word is found when you read, about, when you read it, it's mentioned 40 times in the Old Testament. And this word refers to a side of a sacred piece of architecture, like the tabernacle or the temple. Adam and Eve's body are compared to a sacred piece of architecture, resonating with everything we have seen so far about the image of God. Temples embodying God's presence, their bodies, their sexual bodies. Genesis 1 and 2 speaks about our sex sex-embodied nature as something significant for human identity. Our sex bodies are like sacred pieces of architecture. Why does Paul say in 1 Corinthians, 16, uh, 1 Corinthians 3 verse 16 to 17, your bodies are like a temple, temple of the Holy Spirit. Honor God with your bodies. And in the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. In Genesis 1 verse 27 is one of the most powerful, provocative, and even progressive statements in Scripture. In a world where women have often been viewed as the lesser beings, God declares that his image is born not only by males, but also by females. And the claim is radical, radically precisely because it is a claim about the nature of our sex embodiment. 
we look at the term that is used, I'm not going to get into the Hebrew term of male and female, and the responsibility to reproduce. And, he, and it's the same term that is used when, when um, Noah is getting the animals on the ark, male and female animals. And they, they are responsible for repopulating the earth after the flood. And we have a mandate to be fruitful and to multiply. So being created in God's image means that all humanity is of great value and worth. I want to say to the person that may be here today struggling with um, their sexual identity, that God loves you and you are valuable to Him. And sometimes we struggle with things and we struggle with our shame and sometimes we think we are not valuable. But I want to say that all humanity has intrinsic worth and value. Being created in God's image means that our bodies matter. And in a culture where it says your body does not matter, your body, your sex body is not important, I want to say scripturally that our bodies matter. Biological sex is a significant aspect of human identity. See, I believe, I don't know if you believe what I believe, but I believe that there is a creator that has created everything that we see, that there is a design, and that this creator is good. So then I am, in a sense, challenged to believe that I have a male body that is a good gift from God. If there is a creator that has created and designed this, and I find myself in a male body, is this a good gift of God or is this a mistake? Sometimes it sounds too simple in such a confusing world. And um, when I listen to debates, I'm just like, this world is really confused. And I acknowledge the fall and all that has come, come into the world and maybe our image of God has been defaced or um, impacted through the fall of man and through sin entering this world. And we have this creational intent in the beginning in Genesis 1 and then we look at this broken world that we live in now. And I want you to recognize that we live in a Genesis 3 world. What is Genesis 3? It's the fall. It's where sin comes and the brokenness in the world. So we live in a Genesis 3 world with a Genesis 1 blueprint. This created order that God set in place that he said was good on a trajectory to a Revelation 21 future. And we live in this tension between God's design in the beginning, the fall of man and sin entering and the, and the looking forward to Revelation 21 when the kingdom of heaven fully comes and there will be no longer the struggle of sin and sickness and pain anymore. So what about gender exceptions? I know someone is sitting here this morning going, Paul, that's too simple, male and female. What about gender exceptions? Is there not a third gender? It was quite interesting, 2,000 years later, Jesus in Matthew 19 gets into a conversation and he answers a question about divorce and marriage. And let me read it quickly because at the end of this, in verse 12, he says something interesting. So when Jesus had finished saying these things, he left Galilee and went down to the region of Judah, east of the Jordan River. Large crowds followed him there and he healed their sick 
some Pharisees came and tried to trap him with this question. Should a man be allowed to divorce his wife for just any reason? And then Jesus responds, haven't you read scripture? Jesus replied, they recorded that they record that from the beginning, and here's the verse we're looking at, Genesis 1, God made them male and female. And he said, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Since they are no longer two but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. Then why did Moses say in the law that a man uh, could give his wife written notice of divorce and send her away, they asked. Jesus replied, Moses permitted divorce only as a concession for their hard hearts, but it is not what God had originally intended. And I tell you this, whoever divorces his wife and marries someone else commits adultery unless his wife has been unfaithful. And Jesus' disciples then said to him, if this is the case, it is better not to marry. Not everyone can accept this statement, Jesus said, only those whom God helps. And then he says something very interesting. Some are born as eunuchs, some have been made eunuchs, and some choose not to marry for the sake of the kingdom of God. Let anyone accept this who can. He talks about eunuchs. And a eunuch, someone that is born traditionally, um, someone that is born without their traditional genitalia, to match their identity. And you'll find that um, many of the progressive theology and some of the progressive, progressive Christians will use this to talk about, is there a third sex called intersex people? And in a sense, they use this as a trump card against some of the traditional views of marriage, sex, and gender. And often people appeal to intersex when they argue that gender identity overrules biological sex, uh, especially in the case where um, their biological case is uh, sex is incongruence. So I've been reading this book, as I said, called um, Embodied by Preston Sprinkle. And he says this about intersex. Intersex is a term that is used to describe the 16 or so medical conditions where a person is born with one or more atypical features in their sexual anatomy or sex chromosomes. The medical term for intersex conditions is difference slash disorders of sex development or DSD. Now, depending on which conditions are being considered, the prevalence, the prevalence of intersex conditions ranges somewhere from 0.022% of the population to 1.7%. Not all intersex conditions are the same. And the, the conditional point, uh, the conceptual point I want to make is though, is that most people with an intersex condition are ambiguously male or female, and the chromoso chromosomes and uh, in their chromosomes and external genitalia. 99% of people with an intersex condition are biologically male or female, and the other 1% are both. In other words, intersex does not mean neither male nor female. Now, I'm sure if you're going to get into a debate with someone about sex and gender, they're going to throw in this question, what about the intersex? And you need to know how you're going to answer that card that then tries to say, well, if someone has some challenges biologically, then it is their mind that then gets to determine what their sex then is. 
A lady uh, called Kayama writes, most people born with intersex conditions do view themselves as belonging to one binary sex or another. They simply see themselves as man or a woman with a birth condition like anyone else. So when dealing with someone with intersex, I want to know who you are. It's one thing to talk about a person that's born with a condition. It's another thing to talk about a person that chooses to change their, their sex. It's interesting to talk about eunuchs, and I don't think we talk about eunuchs much. But Jesus talks about a eunuch that's born a certain way, a eunuch that then changes who he is for the sake of the kingdom. But we don't have time to talk too much more about eunuchs. Mark Yarhaus, in his book, Understanding Gender Dysphoria, describes three uh, frameworks that tease out the ways that we consciously and unconsciously evaluate gender identities. And this is how I want to just end off this conversation this morning. So when you think about gender dysphoria, you probably will fall into one of these three categories. And this is where you need to wrestle it through and understand why you believe what you believe about someone who struggles with gender confusion. And there are three categories here. And the first one being the integrity framework. If you look over to my left. And this, also known as the design framework, identifies the phenomenon of gender incongruencies as confusing the sacredness of maleness and femaleness and specific resolutions as violations of that integrity. So here's God's original tent in, in creation, And if you struggle with gender dysphoria, it is violating the sacredness of male and femaleness. The second category is disordered framework. And this identifies gender incongruencies as a reflection of a fallen world in which the condition is a disability and non-moral reality to be addressed with compassion. So if you fall into the second group, you're saying that because of the fall and the brokenness of the world, we've got to accept the fact that there is then going to be a mess up in some of these things. So we just need to show a little bit more compassion to people like this because of the fall, the brokenness in the world. And in a sense, it's not necessarily moving away from the integrity framework. It's saying we've got to be a little bit more compassionate because we live in a fallen world. And then the last one is the diversity framework, the strong form and the weak form. And the weak form says, this highlights transgender issues as reflecting an identity and a culture to be celebrated as an expression of diversity. So even in, in a family, you can have two different beliefs about this. So I listened to an interview. They were interviewing a sister of, of, a, of, a, of a sister that struggled with gender dysphoria. And while interviewing the sister and asking about what is it like to have a sister struggling with her sexual identity, she says, oh, I just tell my friends that she's got a disorder. And that's falling into the second category. It's looking at it as a disorder that she needs to overcome. And then when asking the girl that is struggling with gender dysphoria, she says, no, I see it as a unique gift, that I'm unique, and it's something to be celebrated. And when you have conversations and you engage with people trying to understand how do we wrestle with Christians that are struggling with gender dysphoria, 
It is the framework that you'll probably see it as. No, this is something that goes against the integrity of God's design for creation, male and female. And others will stand more in the middle and say, actually, no, because of the fall, we have to be more compassionate. We've got to accept the fact that this world is broken. And sin has come in and broken us. Many of us are struggling with with, with brokenness when it comes to our sexuality and who we are and our experiences in life. And the other side that would say, no, this is something to be celebrated. So I want to ask you, New Creation Family Church, how do we love a believer struggling with gender dysphoria? How do we provide a community of love and care for someone that is struggling and confused about their gender? Where they're questioning God, you made a mistake here because how I think is different to this body that you've given me. And I love you, Jesus, and I want to serve you, Jesus, and I want to be in your kingdom, but I just... And as I said, I've never struggled with these thoughts. It'll be another thing to have someone stand up here and tell you about the struggle, the day-in and day-out struggle that they have. Sometimes you can't just pray it away. So how do we love someone in our community that's struggling like this? I want to say to you, church, that we've got to, by God's Spirit, know how to love people who we disagree with and who disagree with us. You know, it's easy to love people that believe the same things that I believe, who think and behave the same way, but to love someone who you disagree with. And I said this phrase, can we represent Jesus well as a church? How do you disciple someone going through these challenges? How do you speak into their lives? How do you take them on a journey in, in helping them discover the identity in Jesus? As I said, I I'm primarily speaking to followers of Jesus. I'm not talking about someone who hasn't made a decision to make Jesus Lord of their life. If you've made Jesus Lord in your life, He has to be someone that helps you work out your identity in Him and your purpose and the reason why you're alive. What does it mean to love God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and body when you're rejecting your body and you're rejecting the way God made you? I want to say to you also, especially to our young people, don't be afraid to graciously stand up for what you believe to be true. Because some of these agendas, these aggressive agendas in the cultural wars that we live in are aggressive. And you will be attacked and you will be persecuted for believing what they say is this olden day archaic Bible. You've got to get with the times. How can you believe that stuff in the Bible? It's so ancient and old. I want to say to young people to be gracious, to stand up for what you believe to be true. How do we show humility in that we don't always know all the answers? Can I be a humble preacher to say, I don't have all the answers in these topics. I don't know, understand it all. I, don't always, I can't always work it out. But there are things that I, I believe to be true. And how can I debate and talk about it and work through it? How do you as a parent try and answer the, some of these questions that your children are asking? 
how do we as the church respond to someone's request to be called by different pronouns? Do we say, no, you're not a he, you're a she. I'm not going to call you he when you're a she. Or do we respect, as, our, as we talked about the culture of honor, to, to honor people because they are still made in the image of God? Hello, nice to meet you. And show honor and respect. We're going to have to talk about bathrooms. Are we as a church going to have a transgender bathroom? And I know parents are worried about this, especially in schools and with young children. These aren't easy conversations to have. But statistically, there will be people in this room this morning that are struggling with their sexual identity. Maybe there's a parent in this room struggling to answer the questions that their teenager is asking. And maybe there is a teenager today struggling with their sexual identity. And these are facts. The people that are struggling with sexual identity, they are more likely to face mental health concerns, loneliness, depression, social stigma, and family rejection. Maybe there's someone here in this room that's struggling with your sexual identity and all you're living it out is in your private world and that you just can't live it out publicly yet, but in your private world you are living it out. And again, I want to say that we love you and Jesus loves you. And I want us to be able as a church to be able to not just want to be a holy huddle, but this celebration on a Sunday morning is open to anyone and everyone to come in and encounter and experience the presence of God. And if we, call just to, if we think we only call just to love God, you are missing the other part, and that's to love our neighbor and to love those around us. And this is where it gets tricky and difficult to love people that are different to us. I want you to know this morning that you are created in the image of God. And that if you're a follower of Jesus, I want you to ask Jesus to help you clarify your identity in him. So here's a testimony of a lady who struggled with gender dysphoria, and I'm going to close with this. She said, I came to trust that God had made me female for a reason, and I wanted to honor my body by living in accord with the Creator's design. This is the conclusion she, she got to in her struggle, and this is the tipping point that helped her confirm her identity and then choose to live a certain way. And if I were to say it as a male, I, I came to trust that God had made me male for a reason, and I, wanted, and I want to honor my body by living in accord with the Creator's design. And I want to say to someone here today that may be struggling in their sexual identity, I pray that God's word, that Jesus by his Holy Spirit would help you answer some of the questions you aren't asking. I don't believe God is a God of disorder and confusion. That he can speak identity over you and clarify who he's made you to be. I want to invite you to come next week when Andre Webster, who is a, as I said, studied sexology, 
we'll talk more on this topic and, and other topics. But my prayer, church, is that the Holy Spirit would help us represent Jesus well when we have these conversations. Because to be honest, I can be very embarrassed when I listen to Christians get into these debates. And I want us to represent Jesus well when we talk about some of these topics. In the next few weeks and months that lie ahead as we continue to look at biblical sexuality and as we look at God's scripture, I'm, I'm going to trust that we can submit, bring God's word and wrestle through it and talk about it and debate it. As I said, there are more conservative people sitting in this room and there are more liberal people sitting in this room. It is a recipe for some interesting conversation. But it's okay. It's okay to disagree on some of these things. But by his Holy Spirit, God, would you teach us to love others well? So, Father, this morning we want to just invite your Holy Spirit that your presence, as we always pray on a Sunday, would be so tangible and real. And I guess, God, there are different people that are listening to this today. Someone who does not struggle in this area. And, and Holy Spirit, I pray that you would teach us how to represent Jesus well and to love well. To be a loving community that loves people in this world. That has a heart full of people that don't know you, God. God, I also want to pray for the parents in this room. I pray, God, for wisdom for parents as they help their children navigate the season of them forming their sexual identity. And I pray, God, for boldness for parents to engage in these topics and conversations and to talk about it with their children. I pray, God, that parents would not abdicate this responsibility and just hand it over to culture and social media and teachers and friends to shape the identity of their children. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would empower the parents in this room to navigate through the confusion that this world has at the moment. And then if there are any teachers in this room, would all the teachers just stand where you are? Any teachers here today from different schools? Father, thank you for our educators. Thank you for our educators that are dealing with little children, primary school children and high school kids. And Lord, we, we look at the challenges that some of our legislation and some of the laws are going to impose on our teachers as to what they can say and what they can't say and what pronouns to use with children and what pronouns they can't use. And God, I just pray for supernatural wisdom that you would equip and enable our teachers, God, to love and to speak truth and to help clarify their identity in this young generation. I pray, God, for teachers that are willing to stand up for righteousness and justice. I pray, God, that you, in our season that we are in a church and as we potentially face great persecution, Lord, I just pray for boldness to stand up for what they believe to be true. I pray, Lord, for supernatural wisdom to answer questions that this generation is asking. Supernatural wisdom, Holy Spirit, you say you are the one that gives the words in those moments. 
And we do pray that you would help speak truth and set a younger generation free that is struggling with confusion, especially when it comes to, to sexuality and, and gender dysphoria. And then, Father, thanks, teachers. I pray and lift maybe one person that's here this morning that's struggling with their sexual identity. And right now, Holy Spirit, I just pray that you would wrap them in the arms of Father this morning and let them know that they are loved and they are valued. Lord, that their shame and their guilt and their confusion and where they, they stand this morning, God, that that would not be the thing that defines them. But you, our creator, our great designer, the one that has plans and purpose for us, God, that, that they would hear your whispers of identity in their ears this morning, that they are loved, that they are valued, that they are precious in your sight, that you have a plan and a purpose for them. I pray, God, that you settle any lies of the enemy, or you, you don't settle any lies of the enemy, that you expose some of the lies of the enemy, that you expose some of the, the narrative of this world that wants to bring confusion and disorder. But I pray that your identity would settle in their hearts and minds. I pray for peace over minds this morning. As people walk out of here, God, let them have a peace in who they are and who you've created them to be. Thank you, God, that you are not a God of disorder and turmoil and confusion. So we speak clarity over identity in Jesus' name. Amen.